Blog Talk Radio. We dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, I'm excited today, uh, as usual, to uh, welcome uh, a very special guest who um, is going to um, talk to us a little bit and give us an update uh, about what's happening in Haiti. Um, We've actually been uh, scheduled to do this broadcast. Um, for several weeks, and um, and in the meantime, there has been uh, a tragic uh, earthquake going on. Um, but today's guest is uh, someone who is very familiar. Who's going to tell you a little bit about how um, she uh, knows Haiti and the work that she's doing there. I uh, just want to take this time to welcome uh, Gabrielle Apollon. I'm hoping I'm saying it. Uh, correctly. I forgot to ask you before we started uh, if I was saying your name correctly. So please correct me if I'm not right about that. Sure, no worries. It's Apollon, but um, I think people are always confused, so have no no fear. Um, Thank you you so much for having me on um, today. Okay, excellent. So uh, Gabrielle co-supervises the Global Justice Clinic Project on human rights in Haiti's emerging mining sector and uh, has done work. Um, we were talking, does some work in Brazil. We uh, have that in common, but uh, a graduate of NYU um, School of Law, a uh, graduate of Columbia, has a bachelor's from Columbia University and a master's in international affairs, um, has several awards and has actually interned with the Council of Foreign Relations. And so, um, just done so much and, and some work with the UN, the envoy um, to Haiti as a research specialist. So um, we, we have just the right person. And, and Gabrielle, I'm going to tell on you a little bit. You know, you were, you were uh, saying that I'm not sure if, I'm, if I know, if I have enough that I can share. But listen, from, from, your, from your credentials, uh, you have uh, more than enough uh, background and expertise uh, on this topic. Um, so welcome and thank you for being here to share with us our audience of, of educators and community leaders all over the globe. Um, also uh, want to welcome any new listeners, um, welcome. And um, for those of you who might have questions, want to call in later in the broadcast if we have time. Often these conversations go um, well into the 30 minutes and we don't get a chance. But if I do get a chance, feel free to call in at 657-383-1481. Again, 657-383-1481. I guess, Gabrielle, for me, the, the first place I'll start, and because I, I, I'd love to hear about the work you're currently doing um, off broadcast, we were talking 
and I told you that, you know, my introduction as someone from uh, the South, my education um, uh, did not afford me much information about the African diaspora. Uh, and I did not really understand uh, where, I knew where Haiti was, but where Haiti was situated from a geopolitical standpoint growing up, uh, it was not until I moved to New England and had classmates in my um, post-bachelor uh, programs and, and, and uh, in graduate school um, that I met people from Haiti and, and learned about who they were. And so I'm just really um, fascinated about all the things that I'm still learning about the country's history. Um, and, and so I, I want to first start with asking you to tell me a little bit about this project, because as I told you offline, I wasn't aware that there was a mining sector in Haiti. So can you tell me a little bit about what the mining sector is, what they're mining for, and the work that you're doing, the human rights project that you're doing uh, related to that sector? Sure. Yeah, happy to. Um, and I just want to say I, I appreciate your your um, just honesty about um, the reality of how how far um, the history of Haiti and the reality of Haiti can often be, even you know within the the Black diaspora. But I also think that kind of also underscores the importance you know of of Black solidarity globally, and you know the fact that I think our liberation is you know intertwined and so hopefully we'll get back to, to more of that um, sure. as we, we continue to talk but um, and I guess a little bit of just more about me personally so I am Haitian Canadian um, born in Canada my family is from Haiti but I grew up primarily in the US and so I've had a chance to see kind of some of the overlap um, in my own life but also get to study it a bit historically you know a lot of people don't realize that Frederick Douglass was an ambassador to Haiti um, back in the day and mm -hmm. um, Nat Turner you know received inspiration from the, the Haitian Revolution as he was um, uh, planning uh, rebellions of, of slaves as well. So these probably we'll get back to, but to answer your question, um, so I, I do work at the NYU Law's Global Justice Clinic and it's a human rights clinic. And, you know, we supervise law students in various projects where we partner with human rights activists and communities in various countries. As you mentioned, I'm, the, I'm one of the directors of our Haiti project which, um, you know, more broadly works on issues of human rights investigation, advocacy, and litigation. But we try to focus, um, because we are an institution in the United States, we try to focus on issues where um, governments or companies in the global north are impacting and potentially causing human rights violations in other countries, for, most specifically for the work that I do in Haiti. And so our Mining Justice Project is actually, I'm glad you asked these questions about the mining sector because in fact, um, our focus is uh, primarily, we work with an organization in Haiti called the Haiti Mining, um, the Mining Justice Collective that works to try to fight against um, the evolution of the mining sector in Haiti. So a few years back, I would say, you know, 2010, 2011, um, and even a little before the, the 2010 earthquake, mining companies uh, attempted to, to enter and do some exploratory activity, um, primarily in the north of the country. And um, 
you know, at the beginning, people really didn't know much about what was happening and what these companies were trying to do. But uh, as people became, came to understand um, the impact that mining could have in their communities environmentally, in terms of um, access to water and, and human rights, um, people started to organize and say, we actually don't want this for our communities. Um, and so we, as, as a clinic, came alongside uh, this collective um, to work on strategies to, to, one, get access to information about what these mining companies were, were seeking to do. And as they got access to information, um, we partnered with them to, to provide community education materials about what um, mining companies do and to resist against this. Um, and resist against extractivism, as we know, um, just <laughs> Haiti is a very good example of how detrimental um, extractive, extractivism and this, you know, colonialism and imperialism can be. And, and this was one of the ways where um, community members and organizations decided they wanted to push against it before it, it started happening in um, great, and it grew a greater degree. So your question about what they're mining for um, they, the exploratory activities were re often related to gold, um, but the, the push is to not have um, a mining sector develop um, in a way that is exploitative and impacts um, uh, the human rights of people. And, and the communities in this collective have determined that mining is not right in this, in this context um, with the lack of governmental oversight, the lack of protection for human rights that already exist. Um, so hopefully that answers your question a little bit. Yes, yes, I, and and thank you for that. I, um, you know, which which um, actually is is part of what I was thinking about. You know, this must be some kind of um, probably precious metals that um, that we're talking about here, given you know other places uh, in the Caribbean. Um, which leads me to uh, some other um, things that we were talking about previously. Um, you know, it, it just really surprises me, and I know that probably there are a lot of people out there just like me um, really unaware, one, because not much is mentioned in the news. Um, you know, we get these snippets of information, and, and um, which – you know, part of why I invited you uh, initially was just the the exit of Haiti from from the news uh, just even more recently. You know, no more than a few hundred miles from uh, American um, uh, territory uh, is Haiti, and and you know, a presidential assassination, and then nothing. Um, and, you know, there are some who, you, if you look, depending on where you look, um, there are people with opinions about it, but not much in the way of investigative journalism or uh, just people objectively covering what happened, why it happened, how it happened, um, not necessarily the details from uh, uh, just the event itself of an assassination, but what, what were the political issues, the social issues that generally precede um, something like even an assassination attempt? And so the bigger question for me is why does it appear, and I'm just speaking for myself, a lack of interest? You know, why does there appear to be a lack of interest? Is it that there are no 
um, resources that, you know, people in the States are interested in. Because that's generally what happens is that there's something that, you know, American um, capitalism uh, uh, can benefit from uh, is where mm-hmm. I would get our attention there. But from your perspective, why the, 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 the lack of interest in what's happening? Sure. And I think I think you touched on something that uh, so many of us who work on issues related to Haiti get deeply frustrated about is that, you know, there's a narrative that can that is perpetuated, I think, in the media and elsewhere that where people are only able to see Haiti in a certain light. And and then they only report things that are in line with that light. So one one example, for instance, is, you know, in almost every article that you read about Haiti, there will be this clause, right, that is. Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. However, yes. you know, and 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 it's it, you know it suffers for lack of imagination as well. But what we don't hear and what we don't read about is how it became to be the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. We don't. But Haiti was, uh, you know, at the in the 1800s was what was called the Pearl of the Antilles. It was actually um, one of the 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 most fruitful of the quote-unquote colonies and it made so much money for France, right? Like, I, you know, I can't go to France and see all of the gold there without thinking about where that gold came from, right, whether it's Versailles or elsewhere. Um, but, but also, you mentioned the U.S., right? I think that um, we often don't hear about the role that the U.S. had in reinforcing and, and um, you know, just multiplying the poverty that Haiti actually has currently, right? So, and if you don't mind, I'll do, I, I know there, there are educators in the room, and, and so some sure. of this may be known already, but because okay. I think that this is, this is the, the type of um, history that we don't get and we don't, Haiti's um, current situation isn't contextualized enough for us that um, it's easy for it to be like, oh, no, that's just another terrible thing that happened in Haiti without understanding the, the historical and the current role that the U.S. continues to play in these uh, events. So, you know, we have the, 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 the debt that Haiti was forced to get in quotes that Haiti was forced to pay in order to allow, uh, in order to have France recognize the country and, and deal with it as a sovereign nation. They effectively had to pay for their freedom, and that's the equivalent of over $20 billion in today's economy. So people don't talk about that, but also the U.S. and all the other countries also refused to recognize Haiti after it won its independence in 1804 and therefore enabled this pressure and this effective, you know, theft that mm-hmm. France was able to exact on Haiti. Maybe maybe that's that's too distant enough. We're talking about France. You know, there's the U.S. occupation in Haiti for 17 years in 1915. And I think it's important to note that that occupation came after the, la- the last assassination of a Haitian president in 1915. And so, you know, for me, I that my, my ears go up, you know, my alerts go up in terms of our current situation um, and, and wanting to ensure that, that the U.S. isn't interfering and continuing to interfere in even more problematic ways. You also have the, the, the support of the U.S. of the, of the dictator, um, François Duvalier, up until, and his son up until the 80s. So mm-hmm. there's, and, and this dictator, you know, systematically destabilized institutions. So when we talk about the, the, the current state of, of Haiti's institutions, that's directly related. Um, that's not to mention, um, and I think what you mentioned is um, the political state prior to the assassination that enabled 
such an, an event, right? Um, and I'll, you know, I, I, I should pause after this, but, you know, one of the things that was so frustrating for human rights activists in Haiti and those of us who work with, um, with activists in Haiti was that the, the political and, and security situation in Haiti before the um, assassination was atrocious. And we were trying to raise the alarm and we were trying to, to flag, you know, there were government sanctioned massacres over, in, over the last two years in multiple poor neighborhoods. There was just the week before the assassination to um, a human rights activist and uh, a journalist were among uh, multiple people um, assassinated. And so um, it was frustrating for us because we, we wanted to know, you know, do regular Haitian lives matter? Do black lives matter in right, a way that are right. not president? Because these, these people were, were being continually persecuted by, to be honest, by gangs that were connected and that, um, you know, multiple reports have have indicated we're connected to the government, we're connected to to um, different officials, and that government was and continued to be supported by the United States, even in the face of so many human rights violations. You know, we were looking at, and I'm going to do a slight tangent, but hopefully it'll yeah, be connected. No, no, no. <laughs> the, the U.S. Um, designated Haiti for temporary protective status um, in in um, May, and then it was finally finalized um, in August. Um, but they indicate rampant human rights violations as one of the reasons for which they designated temporary protective status. However, as <laughs> Haitian civil society activists were pleading for them to stop propping up this government that was implicated in those um, human rights violations, there was silence. And so I'll pause there, but there is a lot to, um, I think, to the re- to the fact that you're right that Haiti is only um, is only brought into the news when it's like a sensationally tragic event, and it's as if you know there, there's no context for this. Oh, just another terrible thing that's happened in Haiti, and that's very much not the case, right? There's, sure. and I'd love to talk about some of the positive things that are, you're also seeing these days, but when happy to give you space to ask yeah, other questions. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. You know, you, you are doing so much to educate me and, and those, uh, I always call them eavesdroppers that are in on this conversation. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, you know, for me at least, I will say that um, this context around um, the, especially the socio-political dynamic is so important that much of the time we find that people uh, report and it's like it's not with the background and not with enough background to understand. Um, And a lot of people just go forward under the assumption that it just happened. Well, you know, very things just happen. There are... Um, you know, there are circumstances that make them make them occur the way they occur. And and so what you're saying now, I had no idea. Um, and mm-hmm. and I know more about some other regions. I don't even have to call, but there are other regions that are in the news. And but it's it's almost very, very clear immediately their importance, why mm-hmm. other people are talking about them. You know, and so, of course, there, you know, I've seen all over kind of social media around, you know, now they're, they're 
all of these um, other stories that come up, some of which you don't know how much of it is true or not. But I think because there is a vacuum around understanding what really exists there. Um, and yeah. so if, if the real history were ever told, people would mm-hmm. probably be um, very surprised uh, much of what you, you're saying. Um, but I, you know, there, there, the other part um, as regards um, immigration um, mm-hmm. and the decisions that are made around, and it's not just Haiti or islands in the Caribbean, there are, you know, the, the number of, when you look at just the data, uh, immigration data around African countries versus other countries, it's staggering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, we know how people at the highest levels have felt about places, you know, they, they call Haiti <laughs> out. Um, just it's very like, much like you're saying that um, it's when there's something tragic. And people are saying, uh, and I, I think that's intentional um, a lot of the time because it is let us do something for this country. Let us, um, it, it's very patronizing and, um, and it is something that we, you know, we, we get used to doing as it relates to um, countries that are run by African people. Um, and, and so it's just, um, you know, it's it's just one of those things I think we have to educate ourselves about, which is why I have you on uh, to give us some of that that insight uh, around it. Um, now, you, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I was going to say to speak to that because I do think I, you know, I I think it's important to highlight the positives that we're seeing, and I I think what you mentioned about you know in some some other countries you 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 hear about kind of the the civil society um, actions and, and, and protests. And, and in other countries like Haiti, I think, you know, for, for at least two years before um, this president was assassinated, people were showing up in the tens of thousands sometimes in the streets protesting yeah. the level of insecurity, the level of corruption. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yet you, could, you saw very little of that. And, you know, sometimes if you're working on this every day, you're like, is this Am I, is this just in my head? But then, right, but then right. quickly, exactly. quickly, when I see I see the, the um, reporting on Cuba and see how people are are so quick to respond and say yes, we stand with the Cubans, and I I ask myself, and so why is it that it is so difficult to also stand with the Haitians when they are protesting against their corrupt government, when they That's are true. going out in the streets by hundreds and thousands, and right. and so I I you know I want to highlight the fact that there is. So, so much activism in Haiti, and people are fighting to try to to have better better lives, better safer um, safer neighborhoods, and, and all of that. And and I, I do just want to highlight one additional thing because I think this is one of those things that you don't hear a lot about, um, but I think it's important <laughs> to, to flag is there's currently a, a commission a civil society commission in Haiti that started prior to um, the president's assassination in um, early 2021. And it was a commission to find a Haitian solution to the crisis. That's the, you know, rough translation from, from the Creole. And this is a, a, a commission that has people from every single sector. It has the Protestants, it has the Catholics, it has um, people from um, who, who practice voodoo. It has 
unions, it has um, universities, it has just this, and political parties as well who are engaged. It is like one of the most participatory and inclusive processes that I have ever heard about. Um, and, and yet there's nothing, <laughs> that the, the fact that they are fighting and, and, and trying to find a solution for the steps forward, because really Haiti is in currently an extra constitutional situation in light of the gaps that were present in institutions before the assassination. Um, and they are working really hard to find a solution to a way forward. And yet um, they're also having to fight really hard to be recognized, to be acknowledged, to be um, legitimized by the international community and, um, and, and U.S. officials. And, and that part I think is, is, for me, deeply troubling that that is so hard for them when they're doing something so momentous. Um, but I think also calls for this need for this um, international, transnational solidarity um, and black solidarity as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, to you, you, you mentioned about the protests, and I did see and actually read about them, but it was like you had to dig three or four levels deep <laughs> anywhere to to know about it. Um, but I did get just get an email from a listener in California who asked um, the question, so who or what group is making day-to-day decisions? Um, uh, do you have any idea of who, who is in charge right now? Um, because we haven't heard anything about um, the, the, the national government or the, the military government at this point. Who, who's in charge? Sure. So, so prior to the assassination, um, uh, there was uh, the the prime minister. So, the prime minister um, Claude Joseph um, had had just um, basically quit or resigned, and right. um, and the the president had nominated someone who was going to be the new prime minister. So he was assassinated, and then Claude Joseph, the former one. At, you know, this, this was hotly contested as to whether or not this was the way things should should have happened. But he basically took on the mantle and said that he was going to be kind of leading the government at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly thereafter, um, I can't remember how many weeks, but it was not very long. Um, the the international community as well, as basically solidified. Um, and, and stated that they now saw Ariel Henry, who was the soon-to-be um, prime minister, but who had not been yet sworn, sworn in, as the new, effectively, head of government. So these are all things that are being done and decided. Uh, not, not, there's nothing in the Haitian constitution that said that this was the way that this should be done. In fact, there are lots of people who think that it should have been otherwise, but yes, that, that Ariel Henry is the de facto current head of, of government as, or is, in, is effectively acting as such. Um, but yes, this is, this is still hotly contested. Sure, sure. Um, before we, before we uh, finish up, I want to go back because I, something you said about the, the news media, and I certainly don't want to condemn all news media to be in this way, uh, but I do remember uh, it's interesting because of what's happening right now, but um, back in, I guess it was 2001, I remember um, I was in South Africa and um, the, we, we made our first attacks and um, went into Afghanistan. Um, and I was getting news 
in South Africa about what was happening. And I never will forget calling back and uh, having a conversation with my mother about um, what what was happening from my perspective on the news. And she was confused. She was like, what are you talking about? There's no, you know, there, there are no soldiers being killed. I was like, what? You know, like there was, and, and just being out of the country, I did, I got a different news um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of perspective. And I would imagine that's what you were feeling when you, like what, when you just described, it was like, am I, am I just making this up in my head? Because I, I just heard something completely different and I walked away with something that no one else is hearing, no one else is talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, but I, and I'm sure that must be frustrating for those of you who are on the ground, so to speak, working and hearing from uh, people who are in um, Haiti um, and on the front lines of, of this. I'm sure you have um, colleagues and friends that, that are part of this. Yes, and I, and I think that that's an important point, especially as we, as I, I see the coverage of, of the earthquake that just happened, because, you know, as, as someone who, who was in Haiti at the, during the last earthquake in 2010, um, but also understanding the context in Haiti and understanding the, the, the very significant differences of, you know, what having something happen in Port-au-Prince, you know, the capital city, and last time, and having this earthquake hit in, in very rural areas in the south. And I think, I, you know, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I do just want to highlight, because I, I'm seeing again what you just mentioned, that the the news media has, has uh, in a lot of ways, already moved on from the earthquake, and maybe it's because um, they see the, the, the death toll as being significantly lower than, than last time, but I, I will note that there's because of how remote um, these places are, where where the earthquake hit this time, I think it is going to be very challenging for people to to really have an accurate grasp at how many people are affected. There are still places, you know, we're almost at a week and a half later that still have not received any aid. That still have not. No one knows what has happened in there because these places take hours and days sometimes by foot to get to, right? And due to the landslides and the storm that happened afterwards, there are a lot of places that still remain inaccessible. And so I I flag this because I I hope that people recognize how much there still is of need and how much we still need to to provide support. And one of the positive things I see in this response is that people are recognizing that local organizations and Haitian-led organizations are some of the, you know, better places to donate to um, mm-hmm. in these situations, but I do hope that because there are just very significant differences from the last one and this one, that I think that I hope that the, the severity of this um, earthquake is, it does not get ignored. You know, the geological mm-hmm. survey, um, although it says that, you know, there are 2,000 people approximately have been um, definitively determined to have died the U.S. Geological Survey says that, you know, based on what happened, this, this earthquake was actually twice as powerful as the last one, and wow. that it's a 75% chance that over 10,000 people were killed, and there's, I think it's like a 30 to 35% chance that 100,000 people were killed. So I don't wow. know that we'll get to those numbers, but there's a real, I, I do think that there's not an adequate recognition of how severe people, you know, people are 
that how severely this affected people. Yes, sure, sure. I, and I, I certainly from someone who, when I heard about it and everyone that I talked to, uh, like I haven't heard much else. And mm-hmm. uh, so certainly appreciate that, um, that bit of information. And, and so, as I told you, you know, the 30 minutes goes really fast. We're already <laughs> over time, but I do want to thank you so much for um, coming on and, and certainly uh, educating me on um, quite a few things here related to Haiti. We'll have to get you back at some point um, to tell us and share a little bit more. Um, and I've, I've never uh, been in an earthquake, um, but uh, I know people who have, and I'm, they say it's a, it's a really unsettling experience. Um, and I just, you know, our hearts and, and prayers go to the people of Haiti um, um, with this. And, and I, I just hope that we, uh, just as you mentioned before, that we, we demand that um, there's more that is done and that we keep this at the forefront and recognize um, even before things like uh, an assassination occurs and before hurricanes and earthquakes happen, that there is genuine interest and concern about the people of Haiti. Um, so I just want to take a time, this time to um, thank you again for coming on board and, and talking with us. Um, next thank week, you so much. <laughs> yes, well, thank you. Um, next week we have um, uh, that's going to be a part of our back to school broadcast. Um, Dr. Naim Akbar, who is a professor emeritus um, at the uh, at Florida State University, and um, he's going to be talking to us about how to inform uh, school practices um, with Black psychology. Um, so I'm excited to have him. And um, again, Gabrielle, um, we appreciate you. Keep doing the great work that you're doing. And until I see you, go well, stay well. Thank you so much. And thanks for what you've done to highlight this issue. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.